Welcome back to this episode of Slaves to the Algo. I continue my conversation with John Kim, Head of Marketplace and Platform at the Expedia Group. Welcome back, John. So, John, again, uh, I mean, you're not just, I think, in the travel business, but I think you're an AI leader in many ways. So I have this question, right? If you really look at it from a consumer point of view, uh, I look at the consumer today and I say they are swamped by choice. You know, if I want to just buy... Um, let's say the blue t-shirt I'm wearing, I mean, I can go on the internet and then there are like thousand examples and then there are like, you know, many brands and then suddenly ads start popping up and so on. And then I start to read the reviews and they're conflicting and the one says great and the other one says, try the other one, other brand. And we end up spending, you know, it seems to me that we've reached a stage from a consumer point of view where there is so much proliferation of choice that there is, that we are wasting a lot of time making simple decisions because of the abundance of data. And uh, the question, therefore, is how does a brand, whether you're in travel, whether you're a consumer bank, whether you're a you know, healthcare provider, an insurance company, how do you stay relevant in this when the problem is not, not enough data, but too much data, too much choice, too much information about each choice? And um, how can AI help solve that problem? Oh, that's a, it's a big one. You know, um, it's interesting when you talk about choices, they did a, a study in regards to how many choices you make per day. And actually there's perceived like, like how many choices do you perceive that you have? And they found in the U S it was like to, to make a decision about buying a diet Coke with some absurd number. And I won't quote it correctly, but like a thousand choices you have to make before you get to that decision. Wow. And in India, they had summed it down to like something like 10. And so it's, uh, it's the same decision making like capabilities and perceptions, but you know, it was, uh, it was really, I, I don't want to say, I, I'd say extreme in regards to how you think about it culturally. So, you know, there's also just this cultural lens that you have to put on it, which is literally what are you asking people to do and what choices are, do they think that they're making along the way? And, uh, you know, what are the access points? And, and we keep opening up these optionality. I think of it maybe different as opposed to algorithms. Maybe a different way of thinking about it is just the power of brands and uh, how much people need to actually focus on that going, going forward in the, in the world of business. And I'll use Amazon Marketplace as actually an example, is that there's so many people who are trying to now sell things on Amazon, right? And you have some choices that you can make. Like you could go and become a wholesaler on Amazon and offer that up as a small business and say, well, I'm going to go buy stuff and then sell it in wholesale, which is a sell it to retailers who can go and do X, Y, and Z. You could be a white label like retailer and, you know, try to sell things and then service them. You know, I'm going to take on the service capability of that. Or you could go build a brand and then offer basically a product line that's very differentiated and, uh, and whatnot. And I think a lot of people, as they've been entering this marketplace, like the lucrative dollars is really when you can build brand. Can mm -hmm. you build a very differentiated product and can you have a high level of service and can that brand mean anything? And can you advertise that brand, make people aware? And so I think in the world of algorithms, brands will be more important than less mm -hmm. important. And then you that's might think- That's very counterintuitive, John. Could you just um, think, say why? That's very, because everyone's saying it's all driven by data now and you know, what value rank in a Google search and value rank on the Amazon page is what determines your, 
your uh, business today and you're saying brands are important. So it's like very counterintuitive. Yeah. I mean, if people, let's just do a thought experiment, everyone, which is that if you said, Hey, I want to go and I want to go buy a weight vest, right? I want to buy a vest that has weights in it so I can run in it. And it's, and I want to add like 20, 30 pounds. So to make me feel more energized and then it'll, uh, test my muscles and then to make my running a lot more effective. And let's say that you went to an Amazon, which is 100% algorithmically driven. Everybody mm-hmm. accepts that, right? What will you see? And I think that even without going, we can envision like the same weight vest over and over and over and over and over and over again. Maybe some different styles, maybe some different price points, but for the most part, like this is not like a, a very complicated decision. And then you as a consumer go, well, which one am I going to buy? Am I going to buy from the cheapest place? Or am I going to buy from, let's say, a brand? And, and, and a brand, by the way, they're not taking the same best and then reselling it under brand. They may say, hey, uh, Suresh, this is called soft shoulders. And these weight vests have, you know, it's got the padding so that you can, you know, for over the years, as you're using it, it won't hurt your shoulders. And you go, that's an interesting company. And it's a little different. It's just a little different. And so what do brands do? Brands really focus on differentiation. And they really focus on like why you choose basically the set of products versus everything else that you might see. And then they get a slight price premium for it. It's not the cheapest, but you see, hey, for an extra dollar, why wouldn't I buy this? Definitely, I want softer shoulders. And you know, people are reading reviews and they look at these weight vests and they go, wow, all of the complaints are about how they hurt their shoulders. Mm-hmm. You know, and so then you, as a consumer, you have perfect knowledge of this marketplace. You know exactly what's going on. You didn't even buy these products, but users are telling you what the problems are. And so then this brand emerges. You're like, yeah, it's totally worth it because the number one complaint, they resolve it. And so, so I think we're going to see a lot more brands in the future and, uh, and people investing in differentiation. You know, this is such a fascinating conversation, John. Uh, I think you know that I started my life in advertising, I mean, in, in product management and advertising and media. And I shifted to doing analytics and then AI and big data because I said marketing is moving from becoming a right brain to a left brain activity. And now you're actually bringing out a very interesting point that's going to make me go and read up some more on this, which is that when everything is becoming so left brain, there's obviously the differentiation is going to come from some right brain stuff. Even when you talked about the reasoning, to me, it seemed like it's, while it might come from an algorithm, it really needs a human being to say, hey, listen, I need to provide the context of how a decision like that is made. So it's a very, very fascinating um, area. Uh, so, John, I'm just going to shift uh, gears a little bit right now. And I just want to understand a little bit about, um, I think, from this, from a, the talent perspective in a company and the way executives are dealing with AI and big data, right? Now, in a world where algorithms are determining the price to put out there or the reasoning to get out or what hotels to recommend or or you know when when you should what you should be eating you know if your watch is telling you your sugar levels are high etc how does the role of the fundamentally of the manager inside a company you know the traditionally been the marketing people the consumer insights people the digital people the ceo all of whom who say i know this market i've spent 25 years working this 
And is that middle manager, that senior manager who's got a tremendous amount of experience and intuition and gut, how do they actually now function in this world where some nerdy guy in a computer is writing some code and probably driving change massively? And, and you must be seeing a lot of it in Expedia. Yeah, no, it's an amazing question. So like if, if you think about it at the highest level, one of the things that you would anticipate in this new world that's being run by algorithms is, um, hey, when people are going to schools to recruit, um, you would think that the number one thing that people are looking for are people with data science degrees. And uh, you'd say, okay, I, I need data scientists. I need people who can do math. And that is absolutely true. Like people are going to schools and, and looking for that. Um, I went to University of Chicago, which is known as a quant school. Mm -hmm. And so it is the hotbed for data science and for doing advanced math and da da da. And um, I asked the alumni, you know, new students that were coming out, um, graduating school. I said, oh, wow. So University of Chicago must be really doubling down on data science. And this is what you're being recruited for. And uh, the students told me, no, that's the exact opposite of what's happening. And I said, opposite, tell me more. The number one place that people are recruiting from is the School of Entrepreneurship. And I thought, that's interesting. And so I think that in general, what companies are looking for is that all of this, the data, the algorithms, like we, we talk about brands, what they need more than ever before is independent thinkers entrepreneurial thinkers, people who are, who are thinking about these problems and saying, okay, how do you run a business? How do you attract consumers? It's not good enough just to give, put a weight vest into the Amazon marketplace and let the algorithms figure it out or even write an algorithm because it can be uninteresting. You know, like mm -hmm. when I think about the Flipkart um, folks, you know, I was reading a Medium article about them. And they had started Flipkart as basically a review site, right? And so what they wanted to do is collect reviews of different things that you buy in India and then rank them. And then they, they figured something out that's an entrepreneurial insight, not a data science insight, which is, wow, most of these products are crap. So what's the point? What's the point of like comparing like one product versus another if they're both low quality? And so, you know, it really changed our mindset, right? Which was, oh, no, no, no. We should build a different type of business. We should build a business that's introducing to the Indian market much higher quality products, you know, and, and so on. And, and I just think like, you know, how, do you, how does that happen? It, it's, there's no formula. And I think that's the part where you say it's not an algorithm. It's actually people really thinking about the human problem, having that, that real insight, and then saying, that's a business opportunity to go solve. And then algorithms and tech, that will be easier to access and assemble and integrate than ever before. I think about the Shopify market, mm -hmm. and what makes it super compelling is that you go to the marketplace, and all of these companies are building every single component and the way you integrate any of this tech is you click a button, right? And you want shipping? Click this button. You want to have a tax calculator? Click this button. You want to have CRM? Click this button. And then you don't, what you don't say, Suresh, is let me go hire a tech team to integrate it. Actually, mm. you go in and you say, what color do you want it to be? What's your branding? What's your logo? Like, do you want it to do this or do you want to do that to write? And, and then you're, you, you realize in like 30 minutes, you've put together a store. 
right? And I think that's the future is that when we start to think about how uh, Expedia is going to organize, that was one of your questions, is that Expedia internally, like we think about building all of our technology in that way where it's just a set of applications for, mm-hmm. for Expedia Group. And so what we want is we want to unlock like incredible entrepreneurship in travel, which is don't worry about any of the stuff. Then you want to hire people who are brilliant at looking at markets and trying things and having an entrepreneurial spirit. But and, and many, I would say, traditional middle managers today, that may not be how they think of their role. They may not think of themselves that way. They may not have the opportunity. They may not know how to do that. And so if I had an encouragement for everybody, it's learn to be more entrepreneurial. Right. That is- think about that. That is once you know, that is such an interesting insight and such good advice. I mean, because um, I don't think I think many people are giving themselves up to the machines, or at least they they tending to see life like that. And you're talking about the fact that that actually opens up different kinds of opportunities, and that's um, that's very interesting. So, so should we see uh, a future in which Expedia is going to become like a Shopify and say, anybody who wants to create a travel experience and come in here, click a button, pick a color and do that? Is that, is that what's up? I, 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 you know, it's an interesting question, Suresh. We're building it internally for ourselves, which is we want to organize our tech so that it is that easy to basically assemble together. And then there's always a question of, hey, do, do you take that tech and you make it consumerizable? Meaning, like, do you actually open it up and allow any entrepreneur to go and and take that tech? Well, what you want, this is ultimately, this is why it's such an entrepreneurial question, is what you want is for the tech to be versatile enough that tech is not in the way of that decision. Mm Mm-hmm. I want that to be a business decision. You want business people to do it. But today, there might be business people go, can you actually do that in tech? And the tech people say no. And then it's not even a decision. It's not even an option. It's not even a, 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 a thought experiment because your tech is in no way in that position. But I think about it this way, which is, if you think about Shopify, there's no reason, no reason why uh, eBay didn't create that marketplace first. Absolutely. They it's a question a lot of people wonder about. Yeah. And, and then I'll give you another one for you, Suresh, is that if you go to Google's API Explorer, it's like, why isn't Google API Explorer organized like Shopify? Like, why? I don't understand it, right? Like, you have to, sh- you have to search for the, uh, for the algorithms. And, of course, like, what I think is very bizarre, because this is Google, is they rank order their uh, APIs on alphabetical order. Right. So you start to say, it's going on here. Isn't this Google? This is not like uh, some person in the, you know, who, who's never thought about organizing the world's information. And so it's very interesting to me is that why wouldn't Google open up its store? And you can build all kinds of tech companies on their store. Right. And but it's very inaccessible for many people. Right. But if it were that easy I think you would see a lot of entrepreneurs looking at Google as a true platform and say, I can assemble all kinds of tech that I could put together and go to market with. So I do think in the, in the next few years, a lot of companies are going to, you know, look at the Shopify marketplaces, look at the Amazon marketplaces, these app stores and start to migrate to that. Now imagine being an entrepreneur or a middle manager in that world. 
Well, if you Absolutely. are running a bank, you're running a bank, you go, okay, I'm going to run a bank. I'm going to build a new bank. And you said, this is what's available at Google. This is what's available at eBay. This is what's available at Shopify. This is what's available. There's going to be someone who does it, who says, this is what's available at Chase. And you're going to go, whoa, I could build a bank in 30 minutes, right? And so then, and then what? And then what would the bank be? If it's like everybody else is going to die. How long is it going to take to die? Four minutes. And then you might say, oh, it's going to be different. Well, what will that different be? And I think Absolutely. that's why living in an interesting world. Yeah, but I think there's a, there's a, you know, you said it, and I think there is such a deep insight in, inside that, which is, um, do you want to go, when, when I look at Google and the example you said, Google then wants me to have a team that takes the APIs and do something and build on top of it. Shopify just wants me, as you said, to basically say, here's the button, click on it, click on 20 more buttons and you know, you're done and you get on with your life. Uh, but uh, John, again, I'm going to go back. There's an insight from the business side that I want to ask you. When I started Crayon and I had this view that, you know, there's so much data and there's so much complicated decisions out there that business people wanted something that would just say, tell me the next campaign to run. Tell me, you know, can the engine do all of this stuff automatically for me? And what I'm seeing, however, is that business people don't want that. They want to still stay in control. Now, what's happening is that over time, people are realizing you can't be in control. But I see that a lot in traditional enterprises. The people want to stay in control. I want to look at the data. I want to kind of apply my own logic to this thing. Um, so in some ways, it's like what Google is trying to do, right? They're saying, Give me all of that stuff and I'll put it together and I'll try and create something. Do you see a lot of this, um, you know, let's say the digital companies, or do you see a lot of this in young people that you're seeing as opposed to the middle managers who seem to want control? Yeah, I, I think, Suresh, you, you bring up such an interesting part, uh, piece, which is what's the main obstacle that traditional companies have that startups don't? which is that traditional companies, one of the reasons why it's so hard is that you have a lot of people whose job it is to make certain decisions. Like literally that's their job. And so of course the, the conversations are on control because if they don't have that decision-making, what is their role in the company? Well, uh, and I'll give you an example is that at McDonald's, what one of the things that they're rolling out is um, instead of having a front, desk person who takes your order or like somebody at the counter takes your order, they now have kiosks, right? And so this kiosk, you press a button. I don't know if these have, have released out in Asia, but they're, they're very prominent in uh, London, which is you say, I want a Big Mac, I want fries and I want a Coke. And then five minutes later, it shows up on a counter, you grab it and uh, you actually never deal with a human being, right? And if so, if you were somebody who is in charge of like the people of, of McDonald's, you might be upset at this whole idea, right? Which is, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> to train people, right? I get paid to make sure that there's, you know, operational staff at all times to manage all of these things. So like there's a tension, which is, well, hold on. If, are, what are we talking about here? Are we, are we talking about that we would build it to enable you to make, because you could actually reimagine McDonald's differently, which is maybe you go up to the counter and using like AI and whatnot, 
you're enhancing like, hey, we think that based on your profile that you'd want a Big Mac and some counter person is doing that. And you might say, hey, we're going to deliver it to your table. And, you know, you might have a higher level of service. You might use your people differently. So I think there's a lot of things to think through for for, for people within companies that basically are trying to enable these technologies. But you do have to be clear-minded about it. And some of what I think you're facing, unfortunately, is that, hey, some of this control is really about their job, not about the consumer experience. True, true. One of the things that we try and talk about a lot in our company is this human plus AI uh, model, human plus machine model. Um, and I use the, you know, in your industry, you take the hotel business. When you travel to a strange city, you normally, you don't know where to go and eat. You'd go and ask the concierge. And the concierge asks you two, three questions. You know, do you like Italian? Are you, do you like seafood? Whatever it is, do you want something fancy? And then he says, okay, you got to go here. He's the fount of all the knowledge. And one of the ideas that we were talking about on the hotels is he said, what if everybody in the hotel could be a concierge? Not because they actually know, because the concierge knows. He's got 20 years in that, in that city. But simple data could make everybody into a concierge. So you deliver it through a human being. You know, and then, but you empower the human being through data and intelligence. And perhaps that hybrid world is where, um, you know, we will be headed, though I, I'm not going to predict. John, it's, it's fascinating. I could talk to you for hours and, you know, and I think we do. We have done that many times. So uh, I'm just going to uh, end up with a couple of questions. I think in a, one of the things I wanted to ask you is what are the kind of algorithms that excite you? But I think we covered that right at the beginning when we talked about health. But um, if you look at the next three years, I have two questions for you. One is what are the algorithms or what are the things that you fear? And two, what are the things that you think are going to happen, you know, in fundamentally in, the, in, in business, because, you know, over the next two, three years because of the use of more data and more algos. One thing, for example, I'm going to share with you my own personal thing. I am really glad that Apple has taken a decision to stop allowing people to track you all over the place and, so I'm saying there's a lot of good stuff coming, but that also changes many things for business, right? And, you know, you talked about last mile attribution going away, becoming a challenge. So what are those kind of changes and what are the things that you fear in this world today? Oh, boy. I think that, uh, you know, we used an example uh, to kick off this uh, conversation, which is <laughs> what are some data, like what are some of the ways that, you know, we're thinking about data and, and what's coming? Well, we even take a very simple use case, like, police data, we're digitizing it. And then we're gonna build algorithms to figure out what geographies, what time crime happens, right? Um, well, obviously the next step is, can we then take every single person in a particular city or country and uh, profile them for their propensity for crime? So we know in a particular area, the type of people who might commit those crimes, right? And uh, whoa, now we're really, oh you, oh, you, you go to the nth degree, right? And so then you have a movie and it's called Minority Report, which was- I know. <laughs> very popular. Oh, you have a book and you're probably a science fiction buff like me. You probably have a book written 60 years ago by Isaac Asimov called The Foundation Series, where he says you can predict entire civilizations. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I think that's like, to me, every single algorithm, every single business, unfortunately, needs someone to think about the ethics and think about like, how do you, how do you ethically like, and you know, how do you control your thoughts around this? What is good in the world? 
And then, you know, the conflict, if you had to think about what's the tension for those companies, is that competitors might not have those same ethics. And so you can imagine you're building this policing software and you say, hey, we're going to draw a line. And you go, Suresh, thank you. We're proud we work at a company that draws a line. And then your competitor says, yeah, we do all of that. And then what does the police force do? Do they say, hey, thanks for us, uh, but we're going to go with this other software because it's so much more accurate and it does all the profiling and does it. So you have to have a shared ethic because if you don't, then you're out of the game. And so then they go, Suresh, you're going to have to shut this business down because people are going to go all the way. And so like you go, wow, when you just look at the market forces, it forces you down this path. And, uh, and that really concerns me. I don't know how we solve all of that for every industry, for every algorithm, mm-hmm. because we're going to see an explosion of stuff that's available because 90% of the world's data that is going to power, uh, power the next generation of software in the next two years, that doesn't even exist yet. And so we can't even begin to start thinking about tackling the ethical problem. And so here we are. Right. In a very interesting world um, with a lot to think about. And that's such a wonderful way to end this uh, session. Thanks a lot, John, for such wonderful insights on this. Um, I think I'm going to come back to you for a second round. And, um, you know, there's so much more that I think we can talk about in the way this is going. Uh, To my viewers and listeners, uh, we had John Kim, president of Platform and Marketplaces at Expedia Group sharing his thoughts on how to stay relevant in the age of data and AI. This is Suresh Shankar, founder and CEO of Crayon Data, with my podcast, Slaves to the Algo. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Suresh, for inviting me. Thank all your listeners. I hope they enjoyed the session. Thank you very much, John. Thank you for listening to this episode of Slaves to the Algo. I hope you are able to learn something new or find some eye-opening insight. We have new episodes coming out every week, sometimes twice a week. Each will seek to bring a different and fresh perspective to the topic. Please subscribe to the podcast channel and share it widely in your network. I look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Stay safe personally in the age of COVID and stay relevant professionally in the age of AI.